0: Hey, what's up everyone, welcome back to a new episode of Mikeadelic, I'm your host, Mike Brancatelli, Uh, feeling a little under the weather today, so apologize if, uh, I don't know, uh, this intro sucks or whatever, Um, I'm not going to go too long, because we have a great conversation today with with the guest, Dr. Uh, Richard Lewis Miller, who is the author of Psychedelic Medicine, the Healing Powers of LSD, MDMA, Psilocybin, and Ayahuasca. And uh, it's a fantastic book. It's it's incredible. Um, you know, I I guess I could always tell how much I enjoy it. As I'm flipping through it now, I see how many times I've underlined things and highlighted things. I love doing that. Uh, I don't know. That's just the way, especially a book like this, uh, nonfiction, kind of heavy on the information. I'm totally ruining that book with, with markers, pens, highlighters, index cards, you know, uh, crinkled pages that are folded so I know where to go. Um, but it's, yeah, it's one of those, I mean, if you want to educate yourself about the healing powers of LSD, MDMA, psilocybin, and ayahuasca, get this book, because uh, it's really that good. It's a collection of interviews that Dr. Miller has done um, on his show, um, Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, which is a, a radio show that Dr. Miller hosts, and he has had all kinds of guests. I mean, you know, these are the the leading people. In the field of psychedelic research and, and psychedelic healing, uh, the, Dennis McKenna, Stanislav Grof, James Fadiman, uh, Rick Doblin of Maps, um, Julie Holland, uh, Charles Grobe, um, Amanda Fielding of the Beckley uh, Foundation, um, who else? Dave Nichols, of course, um, Catherine McLean, Roland Griffiths, Johns Hopkins. Uh, so so there's uh, so many people. Uh, the, the the leading experts the leading experts in their field of of research um and science uh so please uh have a look at this book if you're if you're interested or if you know somebody who is maybe skeptical and you know not really sure oh you know psychedelic science medicine oh what is that just a bunch of hippies trying to you know <laughs> whatever <laughs> drop this book in their lap and say hey here you go boom here's a good primer for you you know here's a good introduction um so it's a great book um dr richard lewis miller uh he, he's been a clinical psychologist for most of his life like 50 years or more and um he uh he, he's a he's a great guy. Uh, I really enjoyed speaking with him. It was uh, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure to speak with him. It's always a pleasure to speak with somebody who kind of sees eye to eye with you on uh, on a number of different things. Not totally everything, but hey, you know it's it. That's that's where you take what you can get. You know what I mean? Look, if 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 people out there understand that we're in a shitty situation in the world and we need things to change, and that maybe psychedelics can help, <laughs> you're on my team. Okay, I don't care. I don't care where you go after that. We can we, we can talk. We can be friends. You're on you're on my side. You're on my team. Um, and uh, because that's really what we need. You know, if we're gonna start building, you know, like a coalition of people who are inventing the future and and creating, you know, pushing for uh, innovations to take place in in the space of health and and uh, you know the 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 mental health. And, and everything, I mean, we need, you know, people to be on board with basically kind of, you know, knowing where we're at, what's going on, uh, and, and, uh, and what we can possibly or potentially do about it. And, um, this is a great book. It's a great book. I can't say enough about it. So it's, it's really great. Um, so. Yeah, you can get that book. Uh it's on Amazon and stuff. I'll put all the show notes in there. So go and go and check that book out. Uh Dr. Miller um has that radio show as well, uh, Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. So you can go over there and you can check that out too. I'll put the links in the show note descriptions. Once again, apologize for this this bad intro. I'm just I'm very my head's clouded today and you know, I got uh, don't worry, but I'm I'm taking care of myself. I got the kale, I got the turmeric, I got the ginger, I got all that stuff. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm working my way back to back to being 100%. I'm probably at like 60% right now. But I want to get this episode out today. I feel like I'm a little late, so I apologize for that. Anyway, great episode. Uh, you guys are going to love it. I did. And um, uh, aside from that, if – oh, thank you so much for your messages, by the way. Those of you that listen to this show and message me, whether it's on Instagram, Facebook, or you email me, whatever – I always try and get back to you as soon as I possibly can, and I and I really love hearing from you. Especially, I mean, especially some of the things that you guys say. It's just like uh, I feel like uh, like Wayne's World. You know, it's just like I am not worthy. I'm not worthy. Like I'm not like. <laughs> but but please keep sending more because I love them. <laughs> um, no, but it's great. I mean, look, I love the fact that uh, you guys listen to the show and you get something out of it. I mean, that's just. Uh, that's That's what this is all about. I love the feedback, I love the communication. You know, you guys tell me, and then I make the show better or tweak things or do different things. So keep it up. Let's keep doing that. I love it. I love talking to you guys. I love this little kind of micadelic community that we have here. And if you guys want to um, if you guys want to help the show out and, and you know you don't really have the financial means to do so, just tell your friends, just tell people, you know, just share it. You Know if it's on Facebook or Twitter or something, just share it, like it, retweet it, whatever. Um, and if you want to go a step further, go on down to iTunes, leave a nice five star rating and review. We have like 75 now, it's nuts. I it, it keeps just getting more and more, so that makes me happy. Uh, that that helps me book good guests like Dr. Miller. You know, they they come on the show because they know that there's a lot of people out there that like it. Um, so that's uh, you know, that's the way that if you're if you Believe in this message like I do. Uh, you know I'm passionate about the things that I talk about in this show. Uh, and if you're passionate with me, then go ahead and just leave a nice five star rating and review so other people know that uh, you know we got something good going on here. And if you want to go even further, if you want to go as my buddy Ed Lu would say, if you want to get coconut oil woke, <laughs> then you can go to then you can go to patreon.com/slash/mikebrank. And you could, you could donate as little as a dollar a month. A dollar a month helps me keep my little Mike Studio lights on. And uh, and that's really it. I mean, you can donate more if you like. Some people donate $5. Some people donate 15 20 You can do whatever you want. Um, but every little bit helps. Every little bit counts. And I really appreciate it. It, it means a lot to me. And uh, all that money goes back into the show to making the show better by buying better equipment and better things. And speaking of that, I, am, I was racking my brain trying to figure out how to eliminate this Skype uh, noise. You'll hear it in the show. There's a couple of glitches, and I hate it. It drives me nuts. And look, I'm feeling a little bit under the weather, and I just wanted to get this episode out, and I spent about two hours trying to figure it out. I was launching different programs and Audacity and GarageBand and iMovie and all, t- all kinds of different things, trying to find out how to remove some of that glitchy Skype static. Now, maybe it's a problem with Skype. Maybe I should use something else rather than Skype. I know there's Zoom. Maybe I'll check that out. So we'll see. But apologies. A lot of apologies in this intro. Apologies for that. <laughs> apologies for the static. I know it sucks. I'm, a, I'm, I'm an audiophile. So I, I really like, I love when when, there's, when it's good, good quality, crisp, clear, booming, pitch-perfect sound. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing better than that. For me, uh, I I absolutely am obsessed with with sound quality and audio. So, um, I really want to get better at producing this show. So, anyway, if you guys feel like it, you can. That's what I'm. I'm just letting you know that all that money that goes into the Patreon, and then you you know you donate to Patreon, and and then that helps the show. And then you know basically what they do is they send me the money to my PayPal, and I kind of I just let it sit in the PayPal until you know there comes a time where I need to maybe buy like a pop filter for the mic or I need to do something like that for maybe get by a software program for the show. Uh, so that's that's where where that stuff is going. Um, and I appreciate you guys donating. So if you want to go do that, patreon.com slash Mike Brank and get coconut oil woke as Ed Liu from Psychedelic Milk would say. By the way, my coconut oil is the most woke because I use Dr. Bronner's coconut oil. So if you want to be woke AF like me, Get Dr. Bronner's, get Dr. Bronner's everything. Those guys are great. They donated like millions of dollars to maps, I think. Um, They're, they're, they're the most woke for sure. And coconut oil is, is amazing. Um, Okay. Once again, another apology. Sorry, sick under the weather. I know this intro sucks, but uh thank you. Thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you to everybody for commenting and subscribing and sharing and leaving reviews and donating to Patreon. Now uh stick around for after the show. Uh supporting listener, uh Jay Ferrigno had uh sent me some music. I listened to it, I liked it, so I'm putting it on the show because it's great. And uh it's the just the kind of music I like when I'm getting high. Uh so Yeah, it's like ambient, cool, electronic. So stick around for the outro. You can hear that tune. And if you want to listen to more of his music, if you like his music, then you can find him on SoundCloud, on Spotify, on iTunes. I think he has a new album out now. So uh, stick around for that. Groove out to that. And uh, I'll put all the links for everything in the show notes so you can click and you can do all kinds of stuff. I mean, not do all kinds of stuff. I mean, pretty much just click. (laughs) <laughs> okay guys i'm 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 dying over here i gotta get out of here anyway you're gonna love this this episode i sure did dr miller's the man um really appreciated having him uh on the show and talking to him go get his book psychedelic medicine the healing powers of lsd mdma psilocybin and ayahuasca and go hand it out to go buy barrels of of his books go buy like 25 copies and go run around town and just leave them on people's doorsteps and who are skeptical and go drop them off at the mayor's office and you know do all that stuff. All right, guys, I love you all. Thanks for listening. Sorry for being under the weather and having a shitty intro Uh, until next time we will reconvene. Okay. Without further ado, Dr. Richard Lewis Miller, everybody.
1: Psychedelics are illegal, not because... A loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down
0: models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we are not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority.
2: Authority is a lie. is of perception. Information is power, but we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity.
0: Uh, but I appreciate it. Yeah, so you've written uh, a really wonderful book here, uh, Psychedelic Medicine. I had the chance to uh, to read it as soon as it was sent over to me. And um, yeah, I got to say, I mean, I, I, I loved it right from the get-go. I mean, uh, I think you, you chose uh, an excellent point to, to open the book with, to start with. And that's kind of where I want to start with today, is talk to you a little bit about, because I feel very passionately about the state of the times that we're living in and the current kind of Political climate and cultural climate and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I really love the way that you open the book and close the book. I thought that was a really great. Um, those were two really. Those were two things that really spoke to me a lot. Um, so I would like to know from you uh, as as kind of an opening up, and I'd like to give you as much time as you'd like to just talk a little bit about what the heck's going on in America. What's going on in the world? And, um, you know, what, what do you think about all this stuff and, and uh, you know, the, the whole state of it?
2: Wow, that's a really big question. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So hmm, what do I think about what's going on and what's going on in the world? We started out in caves, as best we know. And as we moved out of the caves and pulled together in little bands for mutual protection, and for mutual hunting, the person who was in charge was the strongest physically, the one who could beat up everybody else to exercise the power of being in control. And that continued for a long, long time, and it set a tone for power over being a dominating force in the world. It changed. It changed if there ever was a time in whatever kind of existence there was before us. It changed to a domination mentality. And so as we developed, from the tribes to big little groups and bigger and bigger until they became, you know, little, little townships and then eventually cities and then eventually states and then eventually countries. And now, you know, a European group pulls together, United States, 13 colonies pulled together and we pull together more and more and more continents and eventually one world. That domination mentality has persisted and it plagues us because as we moved from the sharing of food to the making money off selling each other food, as we moved into a trading mentality from a sharing mentality, the dominating factor was always present, lurking. And then as we moved from there to what we call a capitalistic society where people make money off the labor of other people, that isn't a given, you know. That's just a particular system that we have put together and we allow, Mm -hmm. which which is for people to make money off the labor of other people. Mm -hmm. But as we did that, and moved into that system, it was a perfect fit for a domination mentality Mm. that came to us right from the caves. So now we have a situation where people can make money off the labor of other people, and the people who are in charge are descendants of those who were the physically strongest, not necessarily the smartest, not necessarily the friendliest, Not necessarily the most cooperative, the most loving, the most benign, but the most physically powerful. And eventually, combining that with some who are both powerful and smart. An example that comes to mind there might be uh, uh, Philip of Macedonia, the king of Macedonia. Mm -hmm. Now, he was a tough guy. Maybe one of the toughest guys around in terms of ability to kill people with a sword and a knife and various other things. But he was also smart enough that when he was looking for a tutor for his son Alexander, he hired Aristotle. Aristotle was was Alexander's tutor for 20 years. Now, to me, that says that Philip was, a, was not only really strong, but he was smart. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, just think of it yourselves, all of us. What it, what, it would be like, what it would be like having Aristotle as you live in. That was another thing. <laughs> he paid Aristotle enough money to live, leave the city where he was living and move right into the castle with them. Wow. So you think about that. You've got Aristotle following you around for 20 years from the time you're 13 to the time you're 33, coaching you on everything. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so now we have physical strength combined with brains and a capitalist a capitalistic financial system with a lurking mentality of domination. So what we have in answer to your question of what's going on is we have thousands of years later a system that allows for domination of 99, perhaps, percent of the population by 1% of the population, because the 1% control such an inordinate amount of the whole. Right. And in an interesting way, it takes us all the way back to the Egyptians 10,000 years ago. When the pharaohs, and one little percent of the population, the pharaohs' religious ministers, who kept the kids in control, the people, and the other 99% in control, with the fear of doing something bad religiously, Mm -hmm. and the other 1% also consisted of the military, so just in case... The religious folks didn't get the job done of controlling the 99%. The military could come in and take over. They had 1% running 99%. And from a certain perspective, we now have 1% running the other 99%, even though some would argue for the upper 10% because the 9% below the 1% have such exalted lives. Well, we can argue that either way, Hmm. but when you're working for somebody else, you're still working for somebody else, whether you're in that 10th percentile, 90th percentile, rather, or 93rd. Whereas, as Warren Buffett points out, once you've accumulated a certain amount of wealth, assets... The interest compounded on that wealth in and of itself will always keep you at the very top. And that's a very important concept for people to understand. Right. Because it means built into the system, even if the upper 1% don't want to keep working or doing anything or contributing, they're going to continue to be in the upper one and then eventually the upper one tenth of 1% because of the Compound interest on their accumulated assets, which are so monumental.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, just to add to that for a dramatic footnote, and then we'll move on. One family in the United States, their aggregate wealth is the same as the lowest 150 million people in the United States. That's a fact.
1: Right. Well, that fact speaks
2: not volumes. That fact speaks the Library of Congress. One family and 150 million people. So that's where we are, sir. In answer to your question, a bit long-winded, perhaps, but trying to be thorough. No, yeah, I we appreciate are, it. Yeah, we're the descendants of a domination mentality. We haven't yet evolved to being. cooperative, fully cooperative society where domination is simply out of vogue because it makes the person who's being dominated feel less. And when you have someone feeling less, you're poisoning the well. You're making your own species, brother or sister, feel less. And right now, we're making, in this country, hundreds of millions of people feel less. Sure, and we're, making, yeah. we're making hundreds of millions of people feel hopeless. And so, they're manifesting their hopelessness
1: with symptoms of, of their hopelessness.
2: 67% of the United States... Are obese or overweight. If 67% of the United States had a head cold, it would be making news in every newspaper. 7% of the United States all stubbed their toe at the same time, it would be national news. Almost any phenomenon you can mention, if it happened to 67% of our public, it would be a major, major item for a long time. We have 67% of our country obese or overweight. <laughs> Where do you, who's talking about it? Right. Where yeah. is it in the news? Where is it in the national news? Who's talking about the fact that one-third of the children born in the United States right now will have diabetes? Mm, yeah. Who's talking about the fact that the shortage of dialysis machines that these diabetics will need is going to create a calamity.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Okay, what's going on in America? I just told you one of the symptoms of the hopelessness resulting from the being the descendants of a dominating mentality, which has resulted in huge financial inequality, which results in hundreds of millions of people suffering. Needlessly, I may add, because there's enough to go around. there's enough of everything to go around. That's one of the saddest parts of this whole story. Mm-hmm. We have so much that everybody could have enough. We have enough for everybody to have medical treatment. We have enough for everybody to have housing, shelter, basics. But instead, the dominators put the name of a dirty word. On such a philosophy of sharing, they call it socialism. Mm. Mm. and of course, socialism is only two feet away from communism, and communism is one inch away from purgatory and who knows what else? So by playing this this game of nomenclature, naming something and making that something bad, they dismiss. A, the basic manifestation of brotherly love.
1: Right, right, yeah, by means, by
0: creating all these labels and all these isms and all these ideologies and, and all these things instead of, instead of just having a little compassion and just saying, hey, maybe we could help each other, maybe we could do that instead of putting labels on it, yeah.
2: They use the labels as a way to dismiss and twist the concept of brotherly love. That's not brotherly love. That's socialism. Those people will be on the dole. We'll have to support them. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the folks who speak that way, of course, are the major descendants of the dominators because dominators dominate and that's how they think. Right. Pure yeah. and simple. That's simply how they think.
0: Yeah. And if- when we, they talk about the socialism and being on the dole and all that stuff, it's like, well, they're, they're doing it for each other. You know, big government is socializing big corporations and they're scratching each other's back. So they're being hypocrites, really, you know, if they're, if they're, when they're talking about that kind of stuff.
2: I love that expression during the downturn in 2007, 2008, where they said, yeah, yeah, we socialize the debt, but we capitalize the profits. In other right. words, the citizens the citizens pay for the debts and for the bailouts, and the people at the top take the profits off. Right. Yeah,
0: they they get away with it. They always get away with it. Why? Why do you you know this is this maybe a good a good segue because you have the this dominator kind of faction you know at the top who you know you scratch my back I'll scratch yours. We'll stay in power and we'll keep this whole thing spinning as long as these people don't wake up and realize that they're getting screwed. What what. You know, and and I think that there's law. Lo- you know, the laws that get passed have have got to have something to do with that. I mean, the, the current prohibition that we see on drugs, I mean, it seems so silly to me that we have this prohibition. But then, when you look at it from the perspective in which you're talking about, which I agree upon, it kind of makes sense because you would think that it would serve the interests of the dominating power structure to not have people be liberated and fully aware and in tune with and awake with their With their minds and their bodies, and fully present in their conscious, to realize what's going on. Would you agree with that?
2: I would one hundred percent agree with that. They want to keep the public hypnotized, drugged, overweight. I'm going to give you an example of what they stand for. That is so dramatic, it just shakes me. During the time when we had slavery in these united states before the slave owners figured out that it was less expensive to feed the slaves and let them procreate so they would provide more slaves before they figured that out they didn't they simply didn't feed them So, they would work them until they died, and then they'd go to the store and buy another set. That tells you a lot about what dominating human beings are capable of. Mm. That kind of thinking. Not to label it good, bad, or indifferent, because that throws a red herring and you get into a morality play. More important to witness it and say, That is what a certain percentage of the population are capable of. Mm. Once once you accept that, then you know what you're dealing with and you take the proper steps to deal with it. So it's, it's the same thing with Hitler. It doesn't help us to say he was evil, he was bad, he was dark, he was a monster, all those names. That doesn't help one bit. That's just part of the morality play. What helps is looking and seeing and saying, humanity is capable of creating a Hitler. And therefore, humanity has a responsibility to take the proper steps in education and environment to reduce the possibility of creating another Hitler. That's
0: what we have to do. Wow. That's, that's, yeah, that's so true. That's beautifully put because you're right. It's like, why don't we learn from our mistakes and say, let's, let's do whatever we can to prevent this person from rising up again in our society and not just prevent that person from rising up, but also preventing people from believing in a person like that. What, what do you think about that? Like, What do you think about the fact that, you know, that it, it seems to me that, yeah, we have this kind of dominator culture and this, these power structures. Why do so many people buy into it is it the fact that they just can't see any other way they're just they're 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 being poisoned they're being toxified with the the media and the and everything that it's just it's there's no breakthrough there's no way to get get through to them like what how do we allow this kind
1: of stuff to happen like you know
2: we allow this kind of stuff to
1: happen by naming and name calling and moralizing and attacking, instead of witnessing, grasping, understanding and taking responsible action. Mm. Yeah. That is what we have to do. We yeah. have
2: to We have to acknowledge the depth of the things that human beings are capable of in order to be able to take steps. To protect ourselves from ourselves, if you will, because what history has proven is it takes a very small number of dominant predators to encapture ninety ninety five percent of the population. We need to understand that about ourselves. We who are called sheep, need to understand that indeed there are times when we act like sheep. And so if that's the case, then best we learn how to be responsible sheep to protect ourselves as sheep rather than be taken to slaughter as we have been. It's time to wake up.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely be, time to wake it, up. Yeah, for sure. It's time
2: for an awakening. It's time. It really is time for an awakening.
0: Well, I think for and sure that, uh, that this book is doing
2: connection. that. Yeah, I beg your pardon.
0: I was just going to say, I think for sure that uh, part of the process of making sure that we get to this awakening is uh, people like you—you you know, your radio show that you do—and putting out this wonderful book that you've put out to help get it out there, get people aware of what's happening and what's going on. So, um, you know, that, that's that's definitely a part of that education process. So, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I just wanted to add that in. Go ahead.
2: No, I like what you said, and it's nice (laughs) to give me a break from talking my head off. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. you mentioned the book. You see,
1: the importance of the book is
2: that it brings together under one umbrella, under one thing called a book. It's not an umbrella. It's a book. It brings together in one place called a book. The foremost scientists in the field of psychedelic medicine in the United States. And by pulling together the reputations of all these people,
1: it gives gravitas to the
2: topic. And the topic needs gravitas because it's been smeared and maligned. For 50 years, because fear has generated obstacles to the path of scientific research and has squelched this research for over 50 years, thereby depriving the American public and the world of potentially beneficial medicines of huge importance. And so this I'm hoping that the gravitas of so many of these scientists in one place will get people's attention and and get them to wake up to the fact that it's in their interest to foster the development of scientific research in these areas, because their lives will be better, and the world could be better. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Yeah. Because when we, have, when we have already examples of a child convulsing 300 times a week and then uses a medicine that's still illegal in most of the United, or, or at least half the United States, yeah. and that little baby starts then convulsing once a week, these parents are the happiest parents in the world. But those parents had to move from New Jersey to Colorado in order to get that treatment for their son, and right. most people can't do that, right? So and you're
0: you're talking about uh, cannabis, and you're referring to CBD, which is actually a non psychoactive component of, of cannabis. Uh, which is it's very, is yeah. Sad. very sad that people That's, have to become right. criminals and fugitives or whatever to go and pursue health for their for their children.
2: But at the same time, let me point out. The research of Roland Griffiths and McLean, Mm -hmm. Drs. Griffiths and McLean at Johns Hopkins University, where they
1: gave psilocybin mushrooms
2: to subjects, pre tested them for depression, one administration, post tested them, and then post tested them a year later, and one year later. They were still showing the beneficial effects of one administration. Now, this is breakthrough because what we have, other than this particular medicine, which is still quite illegal, mm-hmm. although allowed at Johns Hopkins for university research, for which I'm grateful. Mm-hmm. One administration versus what big pharma offers the, offers the United States public, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors that you have to take 365 days a year and have very questionable effects on the neurochemistry of the human system. Yeah. Some consider dangerous, some, some of, of, of real credibility consider those SSRIs dangerous. Read Robert Whittaker, The the Anatomy of of an Epidemic, Mm, mm -hmm. on the SSRIs. Or read Dr. Julie Holland on the interactive effect between birth control pills and SSRIs and what they do to women's emotions. Mm. So what we have here, again, is a domination mentality to make more money by selling something that you have to take 365 days a year compared to something that you would take once a year. One example only of the potential benefits of these psychedelic medicines.
0: Right, yeah. And and um, you mentioned uh, um, the uh, anatomy of an epidemic, and that was, my God, that chapter really like blew my mind i mean the just from you know talking about what you've witnessed not too long ago in, in the treatment of patients in, in mental hospitals and um, you know, also going back to the 1800s and Benjamin Rush and that whole thing. I mean, that was just, it was like almost horrifying to read about all that stuff. Such a, a primitive kind of savage, barbaric mentality that we had to treat these people and not just in a dominator fashion, but also you could add that it's a dehumanizing you know, and 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 we still carry that over to this day with the big pharma and and the way that they look at patients and the healthcare industry and all that kind of stuff. So, and then you think, wow, a little fungus, a little fungi from the ground, a little plant, you know, these things that have been here for for as long as the earth has been here, can help people, and we don't have to go through this savage, you know, uh, dominator. Dehumanizing method. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, just the the that that model, that treatment model, and 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 the mental health epidemic. Because I think that's really something that that I I feel very passionately about is mental health, and I think psychedelics play a huge part in 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 the mental health and the treatment of mental health. And I, I would I would argue that there's a lot of people in our society today that are you know on on painkillers and you know the opioid epidemic, anxiety and suppression, Zoloft, so. You know, what, what's what's going on with all this stuff? I mean, it just seems so crazy and backwards, right?
1: It's, um, it's deeply concerning when obstacles are placed in the path of science in any culture.
2: It's deeply concerning. And historically, scientists have taken a beating. There are examples
1: throughout history, whether it's Galileo, or the doctor who took care of Mao Tse Tung. Science in some ways is a danger to a dominator, predator culture.
2: Not in all ways, because they enjoy the technological benefits. But in some ways, it's a danger. And it's particularly a danger when we offer medicines that could change consciousness culturally. And that's really what the big fear is of the psychedelic medicines. And it came out of the 60s. Right. Because they saw they saw that the culture really changed as a result of so many people illicitly taking LSD, because you di- what you didn't see with all those people taking LSD, you didn't see them robbing stores, you didn't see them fighting with each other, you didn't see them ramming cars into each other on the freeway as people do with alcohol. What you saw were all kinds of dancing and tribal events and a lot of brotherly love, and a lot of people who didn't want to work for big corporations. hmm Not only that, a lot of people who didn't even want to look like everybody else, they wanted to look like the way they looked if they just let themselves grow naturally. Their hair, their their
1: beards. And
2: a lot of that came out of their taking of these psychedelic medicines because they have a very humanizing effect when they're used properly and sometimes even when they're used improperly. (laughs) <laughs> they bring, the medicines have a way of bringing people together
1: in a shared humanity. They have a way of, of bringing into consciousness the very, the very possible fact
2: that we are all one organism, that we're not even separate people, but we're just cells of one organism. Wow. That
1: actors were separate, yeah they bring into
2: they bring into focus the possibility that the whole earth is one big organism, a living breathing organism, and we humans are one little part of it, just as the trees and the mountains and everything else, just cells breathing in and out. They bring so many things into focus that are other than what we have developed as an industrial technological and now information society
0: yeah yeah no that's amazing yeah I mean I that just makes me think about you you just said that te- technology and information society it's like you know we see so many advancements in the the, the material world with technology with you know, you were just talking about getting a new MacBook and, you know, I have a new iPhone and there's all of these. And especially with my generation, I'm a little disappointed because a lot of people seem to be very plugged into the kind of Silicon Valley app developer kind of lifestyle. And, you know, even now there's people, the microdosing trend with LSD has become very popular where people are kind of, you know, taking very small sub perceptual doses of LSD and or psilocybin, and then you know going to work for Google or you know whatever, whoever, and Amazon, just kind of staying plugged into that system. Where I I personally don't feel that that's the true benefit of what psychedelics can really do for you. Um, and so I worry a little bit about our our addiction to technological progress and materialism. Where are we going with this? Um, I, I I would say that we need to advance more in in our in our minds in our in our hearts in our spirits uh, do you do you see a way uh, of that happening and if you do wh- how do you see that us kind of maybe breaking away from that a, a little bit and and I guess also I should ask are you familiar with that kind of microdosing trend that I was talking about
2: oh I'm quite familiar with microdosing uh, typically uh, a dose of of uh, of LSD would be a hundred micrograms would be a standard light dose. Two hundred and fifty micrograms would be what you'd call a solid dose. You'll have to excuse that ringing, no problem. Uh, please. And uh, so I'm just giving you a frame of reference for a microdose. Uh, a microdose is 10 micrograms, 10 micrograms, which is um, one tenth of a light dose right or 125th of a standard dose so i i think you put it accurately it's almost sub perceptual. people want to read a good book about microdosing Iolette waldman wrote a good book it's called a really good day and she talks about her microdosing i interviewed her on my radio program you could find that on my uh, website mindbodyhealthpolitics.org and it has an interview with um with Ayelet waldman um The answer to your question is, whatever we come up with, some people are going to use for positive, and some are going to use for profit, and some are going to use for nefarious reasons, and some are going to use to have domination over others, because that's who we are. Mm -hmm. There are going to be people like Bill Cosby, who uses a medicine that is used properly, to, to, to give somebody anesthesia so that it reduces their pain during some kind of a medical procedure, but he could also use the exact same stuff to knock somebody out so he could have his way with them. Right. Well, you can't do anything about that other than what I said earlier in the program. You say, this is who we are. This is who we're capable of us human beings are capable of drugging one another and fornicating with them as if they were dead people well then what do we do about it well maybe we should have educational programs let people know early on in school that we're capable of that and have programs to ensure that we don't manifest that parts of ourselves mm-hmm. we yeah. really really in a way what you could say it's about is knowing our devils Knowing our angels and taking the steps that we can to appeal to our higher angels to bring themselves forth in this world.
0: Well, yeah, that sounds reasonable and intelligent. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I, I think a lot of people. Do, I, I think a lot of people think maybe you know that they're a little bit in denial of, of that because they they don't want to believe that we're that it, you know that they're capable of that or that maybe someone they know is capable of that or. You know that it could even be. I think I would argue that it could be pretty psychologically heavy for people to, uh, to to realize that they live in in, in a kind of predatory environment. You know, um, they would like to well, maybe,
2: okay. yeah. Excuse me. Sorry, I beg your pardon.
1: No, go ahead. You're, you you're know, if you're,
2: it's if if it's scary, yes, it is, and they should be a little scared enough to take action and wake up, right? But but denial will only get them further into slavery. Denial and slavery run hand in hand.
0: Yeah, yeah, and ignorance, yeah. Um, If you're not
2: willing to look at what you're dealing with, then you don't know what you're dealing with. mm -hmm. And if you really think that only those kind of people can do that, well, you're not really looking hard enough because look how many families we see across America are on tv and they seem like normal families and regular families they seem like regular people you see the mom you see the pop and then you hear the story their son just went and shot 17 people or exploded something or who knows what right yeah it can happen it can happen
0: yeah it and can and, and that makes me think that makes me wonder that if psychedelic medicines were more readily available in the proper you know if we had if we had Are able to integrate psychedelic medicine into a proper functioning system of our community. Uh, and, and, you know, if, if we had little centers and if it was a kind of more mainstreamed as a healing modality or however, you know, because they are, at the end of the day, they're tools that could be used in, in multiple different ways. You know, like you said, they could be used recreationally for fun and properly, however, but if we had some kind of system maybe to get people the help that they needed, you know, the work that Rick Doblin and who you interview in the book is doing with MAPS and the, uh, treatment resistant PTSD, uh, I think that's wonderful work that's happening with MDMA. Um you know uh, it's sad that we have to go to these wars and have these soldiers who are feeling this way come back and experience the kind of the the despair and the hopelessness that we don't properly give them the right attention it's it's sad that that happens but here maybe we have a hope in in MDMA right and i think they were uh, the FDA just approved it um uh, to to go on for more for more treatment
2: is that right That is correct. Yeah. A phase three study has been approved by the government. And Rick Doblin is uh, predicting that uh, MDMA will be available as a legitimate medicine in the United States by the year 2021. So that is a a huge step forward. Uh, But there is still a great deal of uh, fear of psychedelics in general. And that's why I'm really hoping my book, Psychedelic Medicine, Will uh, will be picked up by people, and they'll take a look at it, and take a look at the science, and take and really hear from from the foremost scientist in the United States in the area of LSD, Dave Nichols. Hear him say that there have been no deaths right. from LSD. You know, let's get it clear to the public: you don't die from LSD, and and uh, that's important. Once the scientists have determined that, that the public know, and I'm I really hoping. That that word will get a that word in and of itself is going to help a lot of people just to know you don't die from that
0: right and Dave Nichols, who you brought up, is very objective very non biased very much in it for the science, as you were explaining in the book i mean he he's it's 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 very interesting you know when I have conversations still about people who are, aren't really in the know, and I mentioned psychedelics. They still have uh, somewhat of a, there's somewhat of a negative connotation in their mind around this, but I, if I can only introduce them to this, you know, this book and people like Mr. Nichols, Dr. David Nichols, you could see this is a, you know, these, these are upstanding citizens, you know, these are the rigorous scientists who are in it for research and to see what, you know, what's what, what are these things capable of? What can we do? What are the benefits? What are the risks? And those sorts of things. So yeah it's it's fascinating it's interesting so you uh dr dr miller you i believe your first psychedelic experience was with d m t is that correct
2: uh, my first uh psychedelic experience was with
1: morning glory seeds ah morning glory okay
2: all right which which i i <laughs> i read about in uh, leary and Alpert's uh tibetan book of the dead and uh, As a graduate student in psychology and I ingested uh, 400 of them Wow uh, <laughs> That's how many it took it was a it was <laughs> it took a lot to to eat all those um, yeah um, So that was my first experience it was uh, terrifying and mm. um, it was I, I, you know, I didn't know about set and setting. I didn't know the procedures. We were just fumbling our way along, and uh, it was terrifying. I saw uh, these visions that were uh, extraordinary, but I had something. I had something really scary happen that set a tone that was not good. Um, I was on the floor, laying there with my eyes closed, having these magnificent visions of the pyramids. And uh, and feeling like I was gaining wisdom, uh, which I believe I was, by the way, but I won't go into what it was about right now. And then all of a sudden, I, I got real scared. I thought people were, I heard hammering, and I thought people were hammering their way into the apartment, and they were going to arrest us because we had eaten these morning glory seeds. And I just got so scared. And I just, oh my, the feelings were terrible anxiety. What am I going to do? You know, my career, everything down the tubes, I'm finished. And then, fortunately, I had the, I don't know how I did it, but I opened up my eyes. See, I'd been the whole thing, experience was with my eyes closed. I opened up my eyes and I looked out the window, and right there on the roof were two telephone men with hammers. Banging on the roof <laughs> oh man and i i realized, and then I started to laugh, and I realized and it was a it was a great recognition about the importance of remembering to open one's eyes both literally and figuratively yeah. that walking around with walking around with one's eyes closed can lead to terrifying feelings that are easily taken care of. If one opens up one's eyes and takes the proper action.
0: Yeah, that's funny. I, I've definitely had experiences like that before because psychedelics, you know, they amplify everything and then and then of course, you know, if you're doing something that's illegal, you know, there right right then and there, you know, you set your 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 set and setting is ruined because, you know, all of a sudden now you're you're a criminal, you know, you're 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 bad. So the, the bad the men with the guns are gonna come in, they're gonna get
2: you. you exactly. Know? It's, it's yeah. a terrible thing to have to for a young psychology graduate student have to feel. I wanted to come back to some point you made a minute ago, just for a moment, please. Sure. And that is, you pointed out how, you know, Dave Nichols is, is just, you know, a regular American citizen person. No strange weirdo LSD, whatever, blah, blah. He's a scientist, right? You said that. Yeah. The same is true... Of all the other scientists in my book, I know every single one of them. They're regular science people physicians, PhDs, psychiatrists, chemists, regular people of science, like you would expect at most any university. And that's also important to know that these people courageously put their careers on the line by researching a topic that is very unpopular, that's very scary to a lot of people. Yeah, That's not the same as just doing regular old research on what causes this kind of illness, et cetera.
0: Right, right. Uh, I one of my favorite comedians is Jerry Seinfeld, and I remember one of his his bits where he talks about, you know, we have scientists dedicated to figuring out you know how to get seedless watermelon. You know, it's like is this really a priority, you know? So you have you have <laughs> people doing all kinds of things with science. <laughs> but you're right, you have these people here who are in my opinion the heroes of our day, you know, yes, yes. risking so much, you know, the true American revolutionaries of our time right now uh are 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 are, are doing what academic minded people and people of, of the you know universities of the uh, you know of our country should be doing which is being open, inquisitive, investigating, asking questions, doing research, doing studies, and letting the data speak for itself, right? I mean, but like you said You're here. Yeah, like you but, said though, that I think but, fear pervades, you know, the ideology of, of fear and control and, and that sort of stuff seeps in.
2: And domination. Yeah. And domination. Always domination. Follow the money.
0: Yes. Follow the money. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. So, so what was something that you learned uh, that you didn't know? I mean, obviously you're learning a lot from interviewing these people, but is there one thing that kind of totally blew your mind from, you know, when beginning, when you started uh, to actually finishing and completing the, the book and gathering up all those interviews, something that really maybe comes to your mind is going, wow, I, that was something that totally changed my worldview or, or is this stuff kind of pretty much in your wheelhouse and, and you already kind of had the gist of it all?
2: It's all in my wheelhouse. I had the gist of it all. There are technical details that I learned, but I think the thing that excited me the most was Amanda Fielding's digital imaging of the brain on LSD and the brain off LSD. Ah, yes, Amanda Fielding
0: of the Beckley Institute, yeah. Beckley Foundation. Correct.
2: Right. That's right. And those digital images just... Oh, my gosh! They got me so excited to see to see how the l s d literally lights up about ninety percent of the brain that isn't being used and oxygenated in a certain way. That was so exciting to actually see it mm-hmm. um that i i mean that's what stands out for me that's what stands out. Yeah, um, that that's that's amazing. It's I so guess I think maybe one one other thing. Um, I mean, there were certain things I couldn't know, and I said I knew. I mean, I know the you know the, the you know the the basic foundational effects of these medicines. But for example, I quoted before, you know, Roland Griffiths, uh, you know, his work at, at Johns Hopkins. You know, doing a double-blind study, doing a study, and then really demonstrating that one one session of psilocybin has a positive effect on depression a year later. That's a, I love that piece of research. Oh yeah, I just love I just love that. And and having that baby, you know, reduce those convulsions from three hundred to one. I love that research. So it's one thing to sort of have experienced these these medicines and know how much good they can do for you that they've done for yourself and they've done for people that you know and then to have the scientists back it up that's that's great that's very satisfying
0: well yeah that's that's really wonderful and you know i mean i'm so i'm so happy that this all this research is going on it's it's amazing but you know there are people out there probably a lot of people that listen to this show that are you know getting mushrooms from a guy you know named Carl with a dirty mustache on the corner of you know 42nd street or whatever and uh you know there's there's all there's this you know obviously the black market and and that's where the 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 people have to go and get their stuff if they're curious and they want to you know investigate and have these kinds of experiences uh, i guess you know being a doctor you know be, being somebody who who is um uh, a clinical psychologist, you know, knowing that, like you said, knowing that this is something that we do produce in our society, you know, people are going to do these things no matter what, even if it's not under scientific setting and, and research. What kind of, uh, you know, what what would you say uh, to, will be like kind of, you know, the most important thing? I, I know that um, if you're gonna do like a, a large dose or if you're doing something like that, it could be kind of, uh, rough to to integrate afterwards. I think that's a big part of it. Would you Would you agree with that?
2: Um, would I agree with if you're going to take a large dose of something, or are you asking me about buying that stuff on the corner of Forty Second Street, or <laughs> both.
0: <laughs> yeah, kind of both. I mean, you know, I'm, I guess the question is more okay. about about like you know people are going to do this stuff. We know setting settings important. But, you know, I guess what else would be something that would be important? And I, and I, and I kind of led the question by okay. saying, I think integration is something that tends to get left out. So what do you think about that?
2: Well, I do want to just mention the 42nd Street phenomenon because I thought it was a great
1: question, too. Sure. Um,
2: we humans need water, air, and food as individuals. That's what we need. We need water, air, and food. As a species, we need water, air, food, and sex uh, in order to procreate the species. Given that water, air, food, and sex are our basics, then I think it's in each of our individual interests to the extent we are willing and able to get the cleanest water air food and sex we can possibly get because anything less jeopardizes our existence it jeopardizes our existence as individuals and it can jeopardize our existence collectively as a species if one cares about that some people don't they say what the heck we extinguish ourselves. We extinguish ourselves, just like the dinosaurs. And you know, we had a life and call it a day. That's okay too. That's a that's a theory. I mean, that's a a way. But if if you if you value the the gift that you've gotten of being here on this thing we call Earth, and want to enjoy it as painlessly as possible, and perhaps as long as possible then the air and the water and the food and the sex, you you can't be too careful about. And so I would, of course, include buying stuff on the corner of Broadway and 42nd Street or from anybody that looks like Carl. (laughs) That's not the way way to buy your medicine. And if the best medicine you can get is from Carl on 42nd Street, then I'd say maybe you better wait with that medicine And use other methods for enhancing and expanding your mind until you can get some clean medicine. Right. Carl's too dangerous. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Carl is too dangerous. Okay, now we're going to get on to the other question about um, large doses and
1: integrating information. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Jim Fadiman wrote a book, The Psychedelic Explorer's Guide. Anybody who's going to to experiment with with psychedelics, whether they do it legally or illegally, they best read the book. I mean, if you're going to fly a plane, you better take some lessons in how to fly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because if you you take a psychedelic medicine, it's not called a trip for nothing. Things get vernacular words attached to them based on what they do, and it's called a trip because you go on a trip, and if you go on a trip, you better either know how to drive that vehicle or how to fly. Depends on what you're going on. In this case, you're going to drive and fly. So you better read the book. And one of the things that Jim says in that book, I will quote right here for everybody, if you're doing psychedelic medicines for the, person of, for the reason of expanding your consciousness, of enhancing your health, of improving your relationship, and you're going to take a standard dose, not a little tiny microdose, but a standard dose, then you best have a guide with you. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to Alaska and Africa and every other continent on the planet and some of those places, when you go for the first time and second time and even the 20th time, and some the, the 100th time, you take a guide with you. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's a critical piece of information Great. for us all time. To- yeah. And when you take, and, and I will add to that, that when you follow the proper procedure with the psychedelic medicine, you are then taking a psychedelic medicine, but if you do not follow the proper procedure with that same substance, you're not taking a psychedelic medicine. You're doing drugs, mm. and there's a big difference between doing drugs and taking a psychedelic medicine.
0: Yeah, yeah, very true. Yes, very true. Because I can say personally that I, you know, I took psych- psychedelics when I was younger. And I didn't use them what I, what I, you know, consciously. I used them unconsciously and irresponsibly. And, yeah, we were just taking drugs and getting messed up and uh, drinking alcohol with them. And that's not the proper way to use them. It was only oh. later.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah,
0: it could, it could lead to big trouble. Oh. So, yeah, don't do that.
2: Well, alcohol, alcohol on psychedelics is like uh, ketchup on a filet mignon.
0: Well, there you go. So you know, for me, you know, we're seventeen, sixteen, seventeen-year-old kids. You know, what the heck do we know? We don't know anything. We're because there's no education about this stuff. So That's not, right. See, there,
2: there's right terrible. That's one of the problems with moralizing and using the law to suppress people. Is then you don't have education, and p- people can't be suppressed. We all know that this is one of the things that has to change. You can't suppress human beings from doing things that are involved materials, you can't make gold illegal, you can't make marijuana illegal without creating a huge underground of black market. The moment you make something that people want illegal, you are creating a criminal enterprise. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's time it really is time that we learn that look we created the mafia with prohibition on alcohol we created the cartels on prohibition of marijuana and uh, to a lesser extent you know i guess cocaine yeah cocaine we we create these criminal enterprises by making something illegal that's how you get pirates of course so it's time we said to ourselves hey when you try to suppress people from taking something that they want to take and they're gonna take anyway, you create criminals. Let's figure out another way to do it because these criminals are dangerous. They kill people. We don't need that.
1: Right. Yeah,
0: no, definitely. And um, yeah, listen, I know we're 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 coming up on an hour now and I wanna let you go soon. Um I have one last question for you. You know, we started this show off with uh with a with a big a big question. Uh, and I want to kind of end it with a big question, if you don't mind. Uh, just your personal opinion. With uh, I would love to just ask someone of your stature, with your experience and your credentials and, and everything, what you've learned. What do you What do you think about consciousness, and how do you feel about death? <laughs> is that a big enough question for you to end with?
2: <laughs> consciousness is something that
1: we're in, maybe high school about maybe junior high when we
2: when we master consciousness we will be able to use the focusing of the mind to do the same thing that we do now that doesn't seem to be in our volitional control mm. for example you cut the back of your hand over a period of days, your hand heals. You watch the scab forming. Over a period of days, finally the scab falls off. You have maybe a little mark there we call a scar. And then over time, for the most part, the scars disappear. But we don't think we have any control about that. You never hear a human being say, oh, I looked down at a cut on the back of my hand, and I focused my head, and I, and I healed it. Never. The same with other. Illnesses and maladies and cuts and abrasions and wounds and so on. What I think about consciousness is that as when we advance, we will take volitional control of healing and not just cuts on the back of our hand, but all kinds of stuff inside of ourselves. A little heart problem, we'll go in there with our inner television set, focus our mind and do the repair that's necessary. And if, if further necessary, we'll change our own genetic structure using the power of the mind. And what do I think is going to be one of the key contributors towards learning how to focus the mind to do that self-healing? Psychedelic medicine. Mm-hmm. Psychedelic medicine is going to be the most important key to opening the potential of the mind for self-healing. Amen. So mm-hmm. that's that was the <laughs> so and and and, uh, and i think you threw in a second question also what was that
0: yeah. So the second question was about death. You know, through the book I was reading and the Roland, you mentioned the Johns Hopkins studies and the end of life uh, treatment to kind of ease people's fear of death. And you know, I, I have, I, I, I tend to think that that's a prevailing kind of underpin of the fear uh, in our society, somewhat of the the fear of the of our mortality. You know, that kind of leads a lot of people to do irrational, kind of illogical things, and we get everybody gets wrapped up in crazy ideologies. So I think. You know, me personally having psychedelic experiences, and I know you as well, I think a relationship to death uh, is, is different. And now we have these studies that, that kind of say that as well. So what do, what do you feel about, how do you feel about that? Uh, what do you think about death? And and maybe, you know, just as like a bonus kind of, quite is there an afterlife or what does that look like sort of thing, you know?
2: Well, to begin with, people who have theories about death have been very evangelical about them trying to get other people to hold the same belief. So those who believe there's a hereafter, they sell that theory. Those who believe that there's a hell and a purgatory, they sell that theory. And then they use that to have influence over people. And then those who believe that they've set up a whole thing, that, uh, that you're gonna have, uh, what are this, uh, virgins waiting for you that are gonna do all kinds of sexual delights after you pass on. So then you sell that theory and each of them has an influence on how people behave because the people behave in accord with the rules that will get them to that kind of afterlife. Okay, that's what they do. I understand that. Um, in my personal reality, since you asked for a personal answer, nobody knows and nobody sees. That's how it is.
1: <laughs> yeah. We don't
2: know where we came from, We don't know for sure where we're going. Anybody who tells you they know where we came from or where we're going is simply telling you their theory. They're entitled to it. There could be as many theories as there are people on the planet. But from this particular guy, just don't know. And that's one of the wonderful things about life. We don't know where we came from. We don't know where we're going, if we're going anywhere else. And that's how it is. And since I believe that, then... I do what I said earlier in the show. Given that I believe that, how do I live my life? Knowing that I don't know what's happening next. Well, if I don't know what's happening next, I better make the most from my perspective of what I do know, which is what's happening here, my day-to-day existence.
0: Well, I I love that you sang that as well. Nobody knows and nobody sees because life is it's 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 is like music, you know. It's like we're we're dancing along and we're going through this thing. And to, to quote actually Alan Watts, who who had said that, and uh, you know I do believe it is like this kind of journey that we're dancing along to. And you know the point isn't necessarily to to get to the end, but to live it up while we're here and make the best of it while we can. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, nobody knows. We don't know. And that's that's kind of what makes it all very interesting uh, as well, Doctor Doctor Miller. Thank you so much for your time and for uh, all of your uh, eloquent answers and uh, to my to my fumbling questions. And the uh, the book is Psychiatric oh, Medicine. Come on. You- <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, the, the book is, is Psychedelic Medicine, The Healing Powers of LSD, MDMA, Psilocybin, and Ayahuasca. Dr. Richard Lewis Miller. And uh, you guys got to go and get that. Tell people where they can go get it and um, where they can go and listen to your show as well.
2: Okay. Thank you. You can go to Amazon. That's the easiest. I think the Barnes & Noble website has it as well. Uh, my website is mindbodyhealthpolitics.org mindbodyhealthpolitics.org. I also have another one that's just for psychedelic medicines called psychopedia.org. So you can check that out. You can go to psychopedia. There are pictures of the different medicines. You can click on one. It'll take you right to programs and scientists that have done research in that area. Can you send me a copy of this radio program? Of this is a I de- podcast?
0: I, I definitely will. I'm gonna send you a copy of it um when uh when it's out where we'll tag you, we'll put it out on social media, we'll do the whole nine. And uh yeah, I just wanna st- just wanna tell people again, go and get this book. I mean, when I recommend a book on this show, you know I mean it. It's just it's just unbelievable. There's so much it's there's so much in here. And there's so much knowledge, so much wisdom, so much thought and preparation, and so much uh, you know, good intention and brotherly love, as you said, uh, put into that book uh, as, as kind of a, a hope for the future. Uh, so thank you again, Dr. Miller. I appreciate it. And thank you very much, people, for, for listening. Until uh, next time. Peace. Hope you guys enjoyed that podcast as much as I did. You know what to do if you love this show. Share it, like it, spread it with your friends, tell a friend, tell a family member, tell a neighbor, tell a coworker. And uh, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Mike You can donate as little as a dollar a month. Or you could go on iTunes and leave me a nice five-star rating and review. Whatever you do, thank you for listening. Much love to you all. Peace.